PC World named it the dumbest app of the year, um, which was <laughs> quite an honor. Do you want to impact the world and still turn a profit? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to Growth Everywhere. This is the show where you'll find real conversations with real entrepreneurs. They'll share everything from their biggest struggle to the exact strategies they use on a daily basis. So if you're ready for a value-packed interview, listen on. Here's your host, Eric Sue. Hey everyone, just a quick heads up that we're giving away a ebook called 29 Growth Hacking Quick Wins. We co-authored this book with Matan Griffel of One Month, and it'll give you a solid base on where you can create growth ideas from. So all you need to do is text QUICK TIPS to 33444. That's the word QUICK, Q-U-I-C-K, and TIPS, T-I-P-S as in sugar, to 33444, and you get instant access. All right, everybody. Today, we have Tarun Nimagada, CEO of Mutual Mobile, which is an emerging tech agency that builds breakthrough products for a more connected world. Tarun, how are you doing today? Hi, Eric. Uh, good to be on the show and uh, excited to talk to you. Yeah, very excited as well. Thanks for being here. So I guess, you know, at a very high level, I mean, you know, you, let's talk about a little bit about your background and let's go into the company and then uh, go from there. Awesome. Um, well, uh, I'm a co-founder and uh, now the uh, CEO of Mutual Mobile. And uh, it's a company we started uh, six years ago with my fellow co-founders uh, who are uh, ex-University of Texas, um, you know, uh, Texas alumni. And um, uh, 10 years ago, um, we we sort of all met in, uh, in college right as... Um, Right as we all moved to Austin from various places, you know, me from me from India and uh, other folks from Houston, etc. cetera. Uh, and we we just sort of uh, started working on a bunch of uh, you know school projects together. Some um, some more exciting than uh, than others, and one thing turned into another. And you know, we just sort of uh, uh, stumbled into mobile in uh, two thousand eight. Um, when uh, uh, when Steve Jobs uh, put the iPhone up on stage and uh, uh, got really excited about it, and said we we should start a company that's focused on the iPhone, um, and and that's kind of the early days of Mutual Mobile. Got it. Okay, interesting. So you know, uh, let's talk a little more about your work because I'm not sure people really understand what an emerging tech agency what that really entails. Can you talk about some of the work that you've done? I've seen some cool stuff on your site. Absolutely. So um, we, um, when we say emerging technology, you know, we t- we're talking about uh, things uh, like drones and connected devices, and you know, technology that's sort of just coming out, like say the Apple Watch or um, you know, or Google Glass. What we do here is, you know, we we sort of uh, we're just a lot of curious tinkerers, and we go buy all the new technology that's out there and work with companies that are putting new stuff out, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, from beacons to drones to, you know, to what have you. And we just start playing with it and trying to figure out, you know, what can we, what can we do with this? And then um, inspiration strikes or we have some idea on how this technology could impact an industry. And uh, we then will call up a company that's in that industry and say, hey, what if we work together on taking this emerging technology and combining it with your business? Now, one of the best examples of this is 
Um, you know, we have, um, you know, we have employee here at the office that uh, suffers from insomnia. And we were playing with a lot of, you know, Bluetooth sensors and, um, and, uh, uh, and we were hacking uh, on a technology that allowed you to sort of measure how well you slept um, and combine it with other information about like uh, how much exercise you got so that we could show, um, you know, how, what, how much coffee was affecting your sleep or how much exercise was affecting your sleep. Now, this idea, then we then uh, called up um, uh, a few companies that we thought would be good candidates. One, uh, one of them was Select Comfort, and they make the sleep number beds. So we felt like they'd be a, they'd be a great company to do something in this space. Um, and fast forward a few months later, you know, we started working with Select Comfort to build mobile applications that talk to their bed. And uh, recently, earlier this year, you know, uh, the Sleep Number Bed for Kids won a CES Design Award, and it helps parents understand how well their kids are sleeping. Um, so that sort of uh, should demonstrate how we kind of go from tinkering with technology to having some insight, some, uh, some inspiration, calling up a few companies that we think would be interesting, and then collaborating with them. Um, to build something that neither of us could have done together. You know, we have software expertise and technology expertise and design expertise, and they have hardware expertise. Uh, and this is not an isolated example. You know, we do stuff like this with, um, you know, with uh, Honeywell on thermostats to BSX, which is a lactic acid sensor that people wear, um, and, uh, and with Philips on a sleep apnea machine. Uh, and the list goes on and on and on. We've done sort of more work in kind of emerging tech and co- connected devices uh, than uh, than I think anyone. Got it. Okay. Now let's talk a little bit about what you've done recently with. Uh, I mean, everybody knows. You know, recently the Apple Watch just came out. So you know, what, what's something you guys have done around that? I see a lot of examples on your site. Right. So, um, well, you know, the the moment, uh, just sort of rewind a little bit, when Apple releases a new product like the Apple Watch, it really immediately takes me back to the moment, um, you know, the iPhone was held up on stage for the first time or the iPad was held up on stage for the first time. Uh, when the iPhone was held up on stage, that's when our business was born. And that's, uh, that was a very exciting moment for us when we sort of dove in um, and it was, you know, people were very skeptical about the iPhone, you know, when it launched, people dismissed it as a very expensive gimmick device that no one would buy. But, uh, you know, those of us who sort of, uh, believed in it and just sort of went all in, uh, there was, there was some, uh, there was some awesome learnings along the way that we used to grow and, uh, and figure out how to make good use of this device as it got better year, year after year. The iPad had the exact same story. And when the iPad launched, you know, a lot of people dismissed it as a big iPhone. Um, and uh, all of a sudden, we, we were sort of, we were there on day one building apps on the iPad, even before we had an iPad, um, you know, we were building apps on the iPad. And we had an app in the top 50 when the iPad first came out. That propelled a lot of growth for the business. Soon we were building iPad apps for Google and Audi and, you know, really, really big brands. Um, so when the Apple Watch came out, it was sort of this incredible moment. We knew it was sort of this third, third, the third big event in terms of a new product category for Apple. And so we did go all in, and we had you know several sort of hackathons and 
um, uh, and design studios trying to figure out what can we do on the Apple Watch. Um, and we worked with a lot of clients to, to bring some of those ideas to life. And on day one uh, of the Apple Watch being out, we had several apps out there uh, thanks to being invited uh, you know, you know, by Apple to sort of work uh, you know, work on this stuff, uh, you know, before, before the launch. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, one of the things that we're really proud of is our collaboration with Disney, where we created an Apple watch app with them, um, in partnership with them, where we got to sort of share in the credit or in the credits of the app, you know, it was so nice to see mutual mobile's name in the credits. Uh, we don't always get to sort of have that. Um, but beyond Disney, we also built the first, uh, uh, we built built an Apple Watch app for HipChat, uh, which is uh, kind of a, a you know a, a chat client for work, um, and we built uh, you know other Apple Watch apps as well. And so we're up to like maybe five or six big Apple Watch apps now. Um, and uh, now Apple Watch is already in Watch OS two, and we're starting to take advantage of that. Got it. Okay, super awesome, man. And, and what do revenues and number of customers look like today for you guys? So revenues are between thirty and forty million dollars, and we have uh, we're, we're we're pretty selective in terms of the clients we work with. It's a small group, so it's only about fifteen companies that we work with at any given time. Got it. Okay, and walk me through like you know when you guys first started out, you guys are you know nobody really knows who you are, but it seems like you guys just keep building great stuff. So how did you go about acquiring your first, let's just say you know ten big clients? Um, yeah, great question. I think um, you know the. Uh, the, the the first few customers were not glamorous at all, um, you know. And in fact, um, we we sort of have a, a, a almost like a wall of shame uh, of our first initial apps that we sort of uh, you know sort of built, because if you remember in the early days of the iPhone. Um, companies were so skeptical of the iPhone; they weren't like large brands and large companies weren't building apps for it. So many of our initial customers were, um, you know, really sort of small businesses or entrepreneurs that wanted to like get something going, and um, and and some of them were, uh, you know, were sort of uh, um, uh, sort of uh, uh, you know funny or uh, they were just sort of entertainment. They were they were sort of they were almost like you know little toys. Um, so not, not no sort of big names that you would you know, have heard about, but, uh, let me give you sort of an example of one of the really funny ones that we built early on. And this was, you know, just by ourselves. And we built an app called hang time that allowed you to throw your iPhone up in the air and it would use the accelerometer to measure how long your iPhone was in free fall. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, what was really surprised us is once we put in a leaderboard, um, the app literally took off. Um, and, uh, people started throwing their iPhone in the air like crazy. All these stats started coming in and then we started to see a bunch of throws happening in the middle of a field in Iowa or somewhere. And we're like, why, you know, why do we have these, you know, these, uh, users all the way over there? Turns out people were skydiving, you know, with their iPhones to set, you know, the record for hang time. Huh. Um, PC world named it the dumbest app of the year. Um, which was quite an honor. Um, but, uh, but, you know, it was so, I mean, all this just goes to say, you know, the first 10 were just not 
not glamorous in the in sort of the more the more traditional way. They were just sort of funny and really kind of great ways to build experience with the technology and the marketing and how do you, how do you get the word out about your app and stuff like that. Um, uh, our, our you know what's more exciting is I guess is is when we started to get our first you know serious corporate customers. Um, and we were the only one they could call because, you know, we were the only one that, that, that was out there doing this stuff. Got it. Okay. Now, getting your first corporate customer, I mean, did you, you know, was it your sales team being proactive about reaching out to them? Did they find you? Like, how did that happen exactly? Yeah, it was uh, kind of a funny story. I mean, uh, I think our first corporate customer was a company called Prime Suite, uh, Prime Mobile, that um, got, that was when we started working with them, they were, you know, 50 people. And they went out and they tried to do some research, you know, looking for companies that back then did iPhone app development. And they went out and looked and multiple people in the company looked and everyone sort of came back and uh, unanimously said, well, well, this is this seems like the only company out there that's like actually doing this stuff and has links to their apps that they've built that seem pretty good. So, you know, we should we should work with them. And they did. And they did not know it, but they were our biggest client, um, you know, Obviously, we weren't going to tell them that. <laughs> um, and uh, what was amazing, though, is that we did do an amazing job. You know, we 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 uh, we, we make we took our the promises we made very seriously, and um, and partly because we did a good job, the company did very well. And uh, it you know over the five years, as we grew the company from uh, just uh, three of us to three hundred of us. Um, this company grew from 50 people to 500 and continued to be our largest among our largest customers for, you know, for five years before they got acquired for hundreds of millions of dollars. And, and, and there are many more stories like that, but you know, that was the first one. Okay. Got it. So it just sounds like, I mean, the, the trend, what I'm hearing is that you, you guys continue to build really cool stuff. I mean, in the beginning, you know, you might have won the dumbest app, but, you know, any press is good press, right? And then you continue to just, you know, churn along and stay consistent with quality. And then all the great clients started coming in. Is that kind of what happened? That's right. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, it was just like a kind of a flywheel effect, you know, early traction, any traction uh, meant a lot. And then you use that to kind of get the first customer and I think uh, one of the very important things that we did is we were not focused on profit. You know, we were focused on quality. And even if the customer didn't have quite the budget, we knew that we weren't going to win the next customer unless we could show our work and be proud of it. And so we would invest out of our out of our own pockets to make sure that the app was something we could be really proud of. And I think that paid off in in good customer references and good case studies that then let us to build on that flywheel effect uh, until we started to gain some real momentum. Makes total sense. Impressive. So the, in terms of, I mean, you guys are an emerging tech agency, right? So you guys have to continue to, you know, be on the forefront of everything. So the question that I have is how do you continue to develop key competencies that you don't have? And sometimes you don't know that you don't have. Um, great question. I, I mean, it's, uh, I think so much of it, the emerging technologies is, um, is, is there is a lot of noise, you know, with, uh, you know, with the signal and, um, and I think it's so easy sometimes to become, you know, pessimistic and say, oh yeah, that, that technology, you know, augmented re- like virtual reality or whatever is not quite there. It's not quite ready. Um, you know, 
drones aren't quite ready. It's just, you know, there's, uh, they don't have the battery life. It's very easy to be skeptical of, of new technology. And if, um, and, and, and we find ourselves, you know, falling into that trap sometimes. Um, but then when you look at a kid and you look at the enthusiasm uh, a kid would show when they, when they see a flower or walking down the street, it is just an incredible thing. And, and it's that ability to, 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 to sort of stay incredibly curious and hungry and interested in, in, in something new and not pessimistic, um, I think is the kind of culture that is conducive to, uh, you know, people that are successful at Mutual Mobile. And, and um, I think um, they, those uh, people are able to harness that curiosity to, to tinker with new technology and ask, you know, what if uh, and how can we make this work uh, rather than, you know, what, you know, how, how does it not work? Um, and, and so I think when we create that culture and we sort of create, uh, create an environment that's conducive to tinkering, you know, more people do that. And it's really on the backs of creative people at the company that we build a capability or an expertise. You know, the company is not an expert someone at the company is passionate and is an expert. Awesome. Okay. So I'm sure there's, you know, there's entrepreneurs thinking right now, if you guys have all this talent in house in the world, I'm sure you've gotten this question before. Why don't you guys go build your own stuff? Um, yeah. Also, yeah, I mean, it's something that, um, I think it's just, uh, every agency, um, I think sort of ask themselves that question. Um, and, and, um, and, and I, I've seen, um, in sort of my research companies go from, um, you know, trying it and failing to trying it and succeeding, uh, companies that are explicitly will never do it. And, uh, just all over the spectrum. Um, and, and, you know, for us, we love, we love digital products and we love, we love making stuff. And, you know, we would absolutely love to have a successful product, you know, of our own. Um, I think, though, that in some ways that we, um, you know, this, we haven't learned everything there is to learn about creating a successful product. Um, and, and I think a, a lot of where uh, we are weak is not in terms of creating a product that is so uh, before I tell you where we're weak, I'll tell you where we're strong. We're, what we're really strong at is creating a product, um, that people kind of really love to use and is very engaging to people. Where we suck is creating products that are marketable and are well marketed. And it's, uh, I think it's the standard technologist curse, right? You think you build a great, great product and people will just come and use it. And it's not the case. And, um, and, and that's sort of, uh, you know, we think about it as, you know, like our, our right hand, uh, our mu- the muscles in our right hand are, very, are all the bu- muscles of a builder, how to design and create and improve a digital product. But the left hand is marketing. And marketing is the weak hand. And, uh, you know, building the product is the strong hand. Um, and we just want to sort of, uh, we feel like we're in that, stage of like trying to strengthen our left hand and once we do uh once it gets strong enough we feel like we'll be we, we can lift a pretty heavy weight for now we're lifting some small weights we just released a uh, we, we just released a 
a product called Beam in the, uh, you know, actually it's uh, it's an app store review right now, but uh, it's an app that lets you control, um, you know, all your HomeKit devices, um, you know, with sort of one single app rather than having to use different apps. Um, so that's, you know, kind of one product. We've tried many in the past that have failed, uh, but we sort of feel like, uh, you know, if you just keep working out, um, you know, our time will come. Makes total sense. I think it makes total sense. Um, and thank you for that. Do you, um, I want to switch gears for a second. Can you tell us about one time where you faced one big struggle while growing your business? Oh, absolutely. I mean, the most, uh, the most uh, vivid uh, probably is, um, is the struggle over, you know, capital. Um, and uh, we, uh, you know, we, we were sort of uh, explicitly anti-raising money. Um, and, uh, and, and part of that, the, you know, the bootstrap approach, you know, meant that, you know, we, the, the only source of funding was, you know, our customers. Now, um, now a lot of bootstrap companies are okay with growing slowly. Now we knew that we, uh, what we wanted was to either grow quickly and grow, um, to a, to a sizable company, sizable organization. You know, it's not, it was not about creating a company that had 10,000 people, but we needed to be of substantial scale. We felt like before we could feel happy that we were getting the opportunity to work on really tough problems. Um, um, and the fact of the matter is, you know, you could be a really cool five, 10 person company, but you're, you're not going to get, uh, asked to work on some of the, you know, some, some of the enough really cool big problems. Mm. And so this combination of being bootstrapped and wanting to grow led to a very nerve wracking time in the business where, um, uh, where, where we were sort of using every last dollar, you know, to hire, uh, someone that would then, then help us win more business that would then go back to hiring more people. And this, this, it was this constant flywheel effect. Our bank account was essentially almost always at, you know, zero. Right. And the, and so we were just sort of optimizing fully for growth and, every once in a while. And there was one very vivid moment where a startup that we were working with that had racked up a, a bill of, uh, you know, a quarter million dollars, um, you know, they paid a quarter million dollars and they had a quarter million dollars left to pay, declared bankruptcy and said, we're not going to be able to pay that quarter million dollars we owe you. Wow. Um, and in year two of the company for people that had just graduated from college without, um, you know, without sort of bank accounts or, um, uh, that could sort of fund this gap, it was a very, very nerve wracking time. And, uh, you know, it, it sort of meant not being able to pay, uh, you know, to meet payroll, which we knew would sort of be one of those like irreversible moments, uh, in terms of morale and brand. Um, and, uh, and I think, uh, one of our, uh, one of the founders of the company sort of stepped in and, and uh, wrote a kind of a, a you know uh, uh, wrote basically a loan um, that we were able to then you know say hey we we've got to pay this back as quickly as we can. Um, so it was moments like that you know there was many of those um, uh, that sort of uh, 
kind of created this uh, environment where we all sort of came together and worked together, uh, you know, as a team to, to get out of it. Uh, and moments like that very much forged a culture, uh, you know, where we didn't want to be wasteful, uh, you know, throw money on big fancy parties or expensive furniture or, um, and, and we sort of wanted to make sure more, first and foremost that we created a business that was sustainable, uh, that lasted. Got it. Okay. Now, you know, it, it sounds like you guys were optimizing for growth. It, it, it's, you know, to me, it, it's, that's, uh, what? we call it delayed gratification, right? So, I mean, I mean, at what point, you know, did you continue to optimize for growth after that? Uh, did you make an adjustment? Like, what did that look like? Yeah, and, and that's a great question. So Amazon such a great example of a company that so explicitly chooses long-term over short-term and, you know, almost allergic to profit. And uh, I love what they say where they say, well, every once in a while, we have to check in with the market and make sure that we can actually generate money if we want to. And, um, you know, that, and you sort of keep telling yourself, yeah, we can we can make money when we want to. But but uh, you have to sort of prove to yourself, really, that you can. And that that moment came for us two years ago where we said, no, that's it. It's kind of time to buckle down enough growth. Let's focus on profit and build enough of a cushion that will be useful for us in tough times um, because we can't just keep going quarter to quarter like this. Um, and will also help us build enough of a reserve to then go after opportunities like building our own product or opening new offices in more locations and so on. And so we did that and two years ago. We sort of really checked in and focused on profit. And, um, you know, that was sort of, uh, that, that was, you know, it was it was harder than we thought to kind of change the culture of the company to like really do do that and focus on trimming expenses and so on. And now we feel like we've we've developed that muscle, um, and you know we we continue to generate sort of modest profits and 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 are starting to prioritize growth again. Got it. Okay. Now, if you were talking to a new uh, a new entrepreneur about um, you know how much of cushion they should build, you know what would you know what, what's your perspective on that? What should that cushion look like specifically? Well, um, I mean that's a very difficult question. I think it's uh, it's a very personal question, um, and uh, I, I think so. Um, we just in my experience, I've seen different entrepreneurs have completely different risk tolerances and it's sort of like you can see you know with when someone plays poker or chess or something you can see their playing style and how much risk they're willing to take and it's mm. and that that kind of thing just sort of very much carries over to to business and we've seen stories of people that sort of risked it all and bet it all and came out on top and you've we've seen people that have done it and and failed um one thing that um that i think worked well for us is that you know the, between the three of us, there were sort of some, um, you know, we sort of balanced each other out. Um, you know, if one of us was being too risky, uh, the others would sort of say, wait, maybe let's uh, hold on a bit. Um, and, you know, sort of reel us in a little bit. And, but at the same time, if one of us was too conservative, the other one would say, no, 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 we got it. We got to go. We got it. We got to move. Um, and it, I think that balance of, um, uh, you know, definitely helped us, you know, just like um, I think in a, a lot of that, that kind of diverse point of uh, kind of a little bit of a diverse point of view, but not so extreme in the opposite direction that uh, it created tension. We felt like it was a sort of a healthy amount of tension. 
that when resolved created greater value for all of us. Got it. Okay. That makes sense. And yeah, I mean, it is a difficult question. It really depends on just your personal perspective. So totally get it. Um, what's one piece of advice you'd give to your 25 year old self? Um, 25. I'm trying to think about what I needed to hear at, at 25. I'm, I'm, I'm only 28 now. So, um, I'm not sure. Let's take it. Let's take it to 22 coming right out of college. Well, um, it's interesting. So, uh, I, I, I think, um, I would, I, so I, I, I think, uh, let me sort of just answer the question differently and say, what, what advice would I give someone that's coming out of college? Mm hmm. Um, rather than myself, because I think I did give myself this advice, luckily. Um, uh, the, um, you know, my, my, my co-founder, Mickey and I, uh, when we got out of college, we had, um, you know, a choice to make, like many entrepreneurs do, which is to, you know, either get a job or, you know, start a company. And, um, you know, obviously, uh, back when we were doing this, uh, starting a company was not that common. Um, I think it's increasingly becoming a real third choice compared to going to work or um, or uh, going to grad school. Um, but what sort of uh, really clarified, um, you know, sort of our decision making for the for the next five, ten years was that you know we would uh, prioritize. Uh, personal growth uh, and experience over financial growth, and it's uh, so that meant very clearly giving up a job at Google um, or any sort of uh, tech company to um, where, where you sort of you paid a lot of money, but to do the thing that you're already good at to instead choose any opportunity um, that uh, paid less money but uh, allowed you to develop muscles that, you, uh, that you're, sort of, you're, you're really bad at. And one of the best ways to obviously develop muscles um, that is, is you know, starting a company, right? Because it sort of forces you to do a bunch of things that you're not really good at. Um, and I think that explicit prioritization for us, uh, that clarity you know, you could call it sort of our, our strategy for, um, um, you know, for what we wanted to do as um, uh, in terms of uh, our personal growth, um, very clearly sort of laid the ground for, made so many decisions, you know, very clear. Um, and it, uh, it allowed us to do things like invest every last dollar back into the business um, without worrying about taking money out of the company or taking salaries and getting houses or cars or anything like that, right? And, um, you know, still, you know, still today, I don't own a car. It's just one of those things that sort of, it, it's not in my DNA now anymore because of that strategy to like desire uh, expensive things. It, it is to like desire growth and mm. uh, experience. And that, that kind of prioritization can be very clarifying. Um, now you could be the reverse. You could say, I just really like, you know, fancy things and, and you could optimize for that. But that clarity of purpose, I think, I think is super helpful 
and and personally, my advice to anyone that's sort of similar to me or uh, that uh, is uh, is yeah, focus on the growth, focus on your experiences more than uh, your short-term financial reward. Growth is happiness, right? Yeah. Right. Okay. How do you structure your day? Um, I I have um, you know I go through very different structures. I think my current structure is. You know, I wake up early. Um, my my um, uh, uh, you know my partner's right next to the 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 trail, so I I go for a run. Um, my parents are in town. My dad taught me to play chess, so I play a game of chess with him. Um, and I come into work. I uh, work through my um, my backlog of items from uh, from yesterday. Make a plan of the things that I really need to get done that day. Uh, to hold myself accountable, and then I just get sucked into a whirlwind of meetings, and I try to carve out, um, you know, two hours, you know, just to myself, where um, you know where I can just sort of focus on um, on, on longer term things. Got it. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that how how often as a CEO do you really get those two hours? Um, I'm, I'm uh, pretty protective of my time. And, and so I, I think, uh, you know, you just sort of put, put a block there in your calendar and don't let anyone, uh, don't any, don't let anyone book you. Um, but you know, obviously, you know, because we're in a customer business, if mm-hmm. a client comes in, um, you know, I'll, I'll remove it, but that's it. Like if it's some, if it's something external, um, nothing, nothing internal. Got it. Okay, cool. Um, all right. Winding down here, what's one must-read book you'd recommend to everyone? Could be any type of book. Oh man, this is um, this is a hard one because I've just been reading so much lately, and um, and, and 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 I feel like there's so many good ones. From one that's had the, had the biggest impact for you in the last couple of months. But, but the biggest impact on me is, and this is a old classic is how to win friends and influence people by, um, by Dale Carnegie. And, uh, and I think, uh, the reason it was so influential for me, I think some people might read it and say, Oh, this is, this is obvious. The reason it was so influential for me, um, is because, uh, it's essentially a book on, on, on psychology. And, um, let we were just talking about, you know, marketing is, uh, you know, marketing and technology both need to go really hand in hand in order for a business to succeed. And, um, and the, 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 the root of, you know, great marketing is, you know, all based in psychology and how to win friends and influence people was, um, you know, I think just an incredible, um, you know, book because it sort of, uh, dove into some of the most simple, basic principles of um, you know how how people work and how relationships are formed between two people, um, and and it sort of really kind of drove in for me why human relationships are so important and um, why it's important to be genuinely interested in what's going on in other people's lives and. Uh, why that will, you know, that, that, that'll work. That, that, that is, it, it is advantageous to you to be very interested in what other people are doing. And I think that was very, that was very powerful advice for, for me. Cause I get, I, I, I think, uh, uh, I like other people get sucked into 
my life, my world, my problems, uh, my interests, my passions. But then when you start to think about, when you start, stop thinking about yourself and start thinking about other people and what, what's going on in their life, what are they interested in, um, what are they passionate about, what are they curious about. Um, and if, if you just really focus on that, um, it's, uh, it's interesting. I mean, they're obviously going to show interest in you as well. But you learn, you sort of learn more that way, and it's just sort of a more interesting and a fun way to live. Right. Uh, it's it's a way of uh, the way I see it. You know, you you give before you get, right? So it's, I, I think being more interested in someone first, you're essentially giving in the first place. I, I think there's so many you know gems from that book that I, I think it's worthy of rereading every year or so. Is that something that you do? Absolutely. That's exactly uh, what my my thought when I read it. This is my first time reading it this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, very much just exactly like you said, I was thinking this is something I would, I'd want to read every year. Um, uh, you know, because it's just so powerful and timeless. Uh, there's, a, there's a wonderful, um, my, my other very favorite book is uh, by Nassim Taleb and it's called Anti-Fragile. And a lot of very powerful ideas uh, for people that are, you know, intellectual and, um, you know, like sort of principles by which to live their lives. One of the principles he talks about is the longer something uh, has been around, the longer it will be around. So, you know, you can guess that the Bible will be around 2,000 years from now. Uh, whereas, um, you know, a book like How to Win Friends and Influence People, which was written in like, say, the 1920s, you know, it's likely to be around, you know, 90 um, uh, or 100 years from now. A book that was written last last month, even if it's really good, is only likely to be around, you know, for a short amount of time. Um, so I thought uh, that was sort of a, kind of a powerful piece of advice that sort of made me made me believe even more in recommending this book over many others because it is timeless. And in business and in life, you know, everything is changing all the time, in, especially with technology and all that. And it's so nice to, to be able to hold on to something that has been true for 80 years, 100 years, and probably will be true for 100 years. Um, you know, those seem like they seem more, it seems more timeless than a lot of the advice that we read in magazines or business or whatever, which changes week to week, month to month or year to year. Awesome. We'll make sure to drop both of these in the show notes for everyone. Um, but Tarun, this has been amazing. Uh, what's the best way for people to find you online? Um, you can find me on um, on, uh, on the company website at mutualmobile.com or on LinkedIn, uh, T-A-R-U-N, Tarun. Um, I think I'm one of the only Taroons that, uh, that you'll find on the internet, so <laughs> not, not super hard. <laughs> Got it. Great, man. Well, you know, everybody that's listening to this, I mean, definitely check out Mutual Mobile. Uh, they're doing some great stuff. I mean, you know, when, when they call themselves an emerging tech agency, that's exactly what they are. Um, so, Tarun? Thanks so much for doing this. Eric, thank you so much. Hey everyone, just a quick heads up that we're giving away a ebook called 29 Growth Hacking Quick Wins. We co-authored this book with Matan Griffel of One Month and it'll give you a solid base on where you can create growth ideas from. So all you need to do is text QUICK TIPS to 33444. That's the word QUICK, Q-U-I-C-K and TIPS, T-I-P-S as in sugar to 33444 and you get instant access. Thanks for listening to this episode of Growth Everywhere. 
If you loved what you heard, be sure to head back to growtheverywhere.com for today's show notes and a ton of additional resources. But before you go, hit the subscribe button to avoid missing out on next week's value-packed interview. Enjoy the rest of your week and remember to take action and continue growing.